We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Great tackle, watch out! Burst of speed! Look at this freshman! Welcome to the home of professional football, Canton, Ohio. Hello and welcome to another episode of the College of Canton podcast, the perfect show for any and every college football and NFL fan. I'm your host, Travis May, and you can find me on Twitter at FF underscore Travis M and Titan Travis on Clubhouse. And if you're looking for Stefan, he's out again this week. Just couldn't get things uh, set up technical, <laughs> technically wise uh, with uh, recording with our special guests this week. But he will be back here very soon. And keep in mind, we will be going to a two episode per week format as the season is about to begin, I'll be taking some short form episodes and Stefan will be having some special guests on here for you in the near future. Uh, but if you're joining us for the first time, College of Canton is a show about the journey of the best football players and prospects from being a college football recruit all the way to the discussion as to whether they should be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And we always talk some fantasy football since this is a Road to His Radio podcast, but we always make sure to dive into some real college football and NFL analysis, too. And this week, we're joined actually by a duo of special guests, a couple real-life college football officials. And uh, you all actually took the time to send in some great questions for this special episode. But before we dive into that uh, and introduce those guests, I just want to say thank you to all our loyal listeners who have clearly been telling your friends about the show because... Uh, and really just welcome all you new folks, too, because we've been seeing numbers spike and we're now officially the number one Debbie Fantasy Football podcast on Apple Podcasts. And we made it onto several top 50 and 100 lists for college football, fantasy football, NFL podcast coverage. So you guys are amazing. So keep on telling your friends. Keep on leaving some uh, five star reviews. Uh, no one stars, please. Uh, but it's good to know that we aren't the only ones who love football and uh, and nerd out about this stuff, too. But uh, just to welcome the special duo of guests here, the SEC and Sunbelt officials here. I'm joined by Blake Parks. He's actually been an SEC official for 26 years and actually entering his 26th season. And I'm also joined by Barry Blackwell, who's actually been with the Sunbelt now for four years and has been doing college football uh, officiating since 2014. How you guys doing? Doing great, great thank you. Glad to be here with number one. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, just glad to uh, talk some uh, college football with you guys, and um, maybe you know, maybe teach you guys something about some fantasy football. You know, I, I'm, I'm going to be you know just soaking it in today and learning from you guys. Uh, but uh, but yeah, this is this should be a fun time. Uh, so thanks again for joining me. But again, Blake, I mean, you've been with the SEC entering this 26 years, right? 26. So years you started. Now. I'm bad. I'm I'm bad at math when I choose to be. So it was mid 90s, I guess, that you. Yeah. That's awesome. 1996. I uh, spent 23 years on the field, and this will be my third year up in the booth where they put old old folks to die <laughs> that can't run anymore. So I'll be in the instant replay booth for my third season this year. That's awesome. You know, you were actually before we actually hit record, you were even talking about how how crazy it is. Uh, just uh, what you, you're required to do if you're on field as a referee in terms of keeping up with the guys and <laughs> and trying to uh, run downfield. What were their requirements or something you were talking about? Like the, how fast they make you guys run these days? Yeah, the uh, the Southeastern Conference actually has a physical functional test that's been going on since the early 90s. It was put in place by Commissioner Kramer at the time because he didn't like the way some of the guys looked on TV. <laughs> So literally, he was concerned about the you know the physical appearance of his officials on TV. Oh my goodness! So there's a there's there all these years there's been a long distance run test based on your age, and there's also some functional agility tests. 
What's interesting about that, Barry can expand on, is this particular year it's been transferred over to a sprinting test because <laughs> of the fast-paced offenses. Yeah, so, okay. So know, they, they got to have your 40 like under under uh, four, 4.2 seconds, right? That's him. Uh, yeah. That's why I'm in the booth now. <laughs> nice. So, Barry, Barry, what is your 40 now? Is it four, like 2, 4, 3, 4, four, four or you, you know? Yeah, it differs between, you know, grass and turf. So, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Give, give or take a few seconds. Exactly. <laughs> what he's not saying about that is his position, he runs backwards. Oh, man. So, you know, the same position that I worked all these years on the field, that position requires you to run backwards as much as you run forward, which is kind wow. of an interesting bit dynamic. So what I'm hearing, I need to write this down. So Barry can run a 4-4-40 backwards, backwards is what I'm hearing. Yeah. So that's impressive. Barry, no, no wonder you've uh, been rising so quickly uh, through the, the ranks of college football. You know, just they're just like, hey, he's, I mean, he's got a rare skill set. I mean, the guy can run backwards at like 50 miles per hour. So that's that's fantastic. Uh, it, I, I don't think many of our listeners could do that. In, in fact, I, I think, you know, people sitting on the couch every Saturday, talk, you know, they probably think they can do a better job. But can they run a 40 backwards as fast as Barry? I don't think so. I don't think so. Uh, and if anybody wants to challenge Barry, uh, you can reach out to me and we'll, we'll set something up in Middle Tennessee here very soon. Uh, but uh, without further ado, I, I do want to just jump into those questions because uh, we're going to, you know, we're going to get into some player analysis and team analysis as well. Uh, but I have some very specific questions for you guys. Uh, and so first question, uh, and this is this is uh, this is actually asked by multiple people. In fact, three of Stefan, my co-host friends, asked this que- the same question, uh, basically the same question. But uh, number one, how much does Alabama pay you? And is it by salary or by the flag? <laughs> and and you don't have to answer that. That was a fake part, but that was a fake first question. But it, it, it's funny. Like I don't know. Here in SEC country, there's always somebody that's just like, oh, that's just stacking Alabama, favoring Alabama. But really, they've just been racking it up and recruiting and dominating the sport for basically a decade. And so people want to complain. I want to complain. I root for Auburn, but uh, but in the end, Alabama is just, just really better. good. Um- <laughs> They, I mean, they just really are a really good, solid program. But to, to tell you how, how passionate they are about that, in the uh, early 2000s when Alabama was trying to gain their footing, mm-hmm. that Alabama-LSU game, and I missed a horrendous pass interference call in oh, the end no. zone that ended up resulting in an interception by LSU, and ultimately they won the game. Oh, man. And I had death threats. You personally, people were like, "Let's find out who that guy is." That rev right there. It went. It went to the extent where my voicemails were monitored by the FBI for about thirty days. Oh my gosh, that's um, insane! You know, just kind of crazy. Had the most polite death threat you've ever heard. <laughs> Has to be a southern redneck so- to do this. So I get a phone call, and it says, uh, "Just in case I have the wrong number." Yeah. Please let me apologize. Oh my gosh! But if I Before- got the guy. <laughs> <laughs> then, it, then it went on and on and on after that. So just in case uh, I have the wrong number, I'm sorry for this incoming death threat yeah. here. This might not actually be for you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, my they gosh. They are passionate. But they, I mean, the, the, the truth, the honest truth about Alabama's success in the last, what's it been, a decade? Yeah, seriously. Ever since they, that Julio Jones class. It's, they 20, run everything that about that program. They run it at a standard of excellence, and, and they're well-coached. They're well-disciplined, and they just they just are that good. They have been that good for that long. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I mean, when you look at their recruiting versus anybody, and it starts there. And I'm a, I'm a nerd, so I run a bunch of static, you know, statistical tests. And what I found is that recruiting grade alone, and average recruiting rank for these schools actually accounts for about 36% of the variance in win totals. Seriously, every single year, you'd think it was smaller than that because it's coaching and all, all actually in-game uh, competition. But when it comes comes down to it, you have to have the players. You have to have good coaches. You have to have a, a well-oiled machine. But, man, you got to have the players. And if you have Jimmy's all the players, the, the Jimmys and the Joes, exactly, Barry. I mean, when you look at it since just in the college football playoff era – it's ridiculous. Like dating back to 2012 when, you know, the first players that would have been on those first uh, college football playoffs uh, and those rosters, uh, we look back that far, Alabama has had 46 five stars. And no one else has had even 40. In fact, second is Georgia with 35. Like they just trounce everyone else. And their average class rank is like 1.5. Like they, they basically have been a top five team every single stinking year in recruiting since then, and they've got 91 
total wins in that same span. Second place being Clemson with 89, Ohio State with 82, and after that, you don't have anybody even up to 80 wins in that span. It's just been a ridiculous era of dominance. But uh, moving on to the the first actual real real question, I guess here, because uh, the, the you know the Alabama payment. We'll, maybe we'll talk about that afterwards. But uh, <laughs> but Barry, th- th- this one's for you because I think we've talked about this a little bit. But uh, I mean, like when you've been on the field and, and and you've seen some really good players play over the years. But have, has there ever been a guy or here or there a player that even even last year maybe that you just thought, wow, that kid has it. That kid can sling it. That kid is going to play on Sundays. Like just just from your running backwards point of view, <laughs> at full speed, uh, the guys that just blew you away. Can you think of any big name players that you're like that guy is it? I'll I'll start with an Alabama story, and it won't it won't top Blake's. But um, <laughs> the my first Southeastern Conference game was the as an Alabama game. Okay. Um, so the two thousand what would that be two thousand nineteen Alabama team. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was phenomenal. Few good players. Blake Blake ragged me because was it Henry was it was it Rugs was it Rugs yeah Rugs yeah. So on his uh, on all his highlight reels was the one game that I had. Like three of his four <laughs> highlight plays were from the game I had, and okay. he smoked me to the goal line every time. So, <laughs> so he was pretty good. Um, of course, Tua was on that team. Oh yeah, and that was though the entire team just I really stood out. Yeah, Jerry Judy. You had Devontae Smith. Yes, all three first round picks. Like, yes, it's just absolutely. And they had Najee Harris, a, another first round pick. Just so obvious my, guys. My story, uh, my first ever Southeastern Conference game. You know, we've worked scrimmages before. Coach yeah. Saban had seen me before. Uh, Coach Saban tends to rag the rookies, right? So, yeah. first play from uh, scrimmage for Alabama was a touchdown to oh, Henry Ruggs. Of course. Okay. I think I remember that game, actually. Okay. Was it off, off like a slant route or something? I, yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, he, you know, we, we're neck and neck to the goal line this time because it's only the first quarter. So, yeah, so he's you're getting fresh. my best. You're, you're right? fresh. Um, so, uh, the next time they get the ball, they get the ball punted to them. They return this for a touchdown. Of course. But I have a flag on the play. Oh, uh, was that Waddle? I called a touchdown back. Yes. Okay. It was I, a punt I, I, return. I called back. Okay. I remember this game. This is great. Like, you were there. So, my flag's on the ground, and I remember I go tell my referee what I have, and he says, you realize that was a touchdown? Yes, sir, I do. So. <laughs> Wait, who asked you this? My, my my head referee. Okay. He's like, yeah, before he makes sure the announcement. You know. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> So I'm kind of going back, and I, at the first half, I have Alabama sidelines. Oh, gosh. So I'm walking back, and I'm trying to avoid Coach Saban, but I don't see him. So, <laughs> you know, I go about my business, and the whole next five or six plays, I'm just thinking, man, he's going to get me. Bite you up. <laughs> so I feel somebody walk up behind me, and he slightly taps me, and he said, don't worry, you got it right, rookie. And he kept walking. And I was like, Ooh. So, <laughs> so this is Nick Saban just walking yes. up to you. Yeah. Oh, man. And so that's my little album. Was that? Story. But that entire team. That was, was a great phenomenal. story. What are you talking about, phenomenal. man? So was that legit, like, the first thing Nick Saban ever said to you? Uh, in a game, yes. Okay. okay. Uh, we've talked during – he doesn't talk a lot to us during no. scrimmages, but um, during a game, yes. Wow. Yes. Uh, and that'll, that also – just so you relax as you get a little faster. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll come back. To yeah. So it's your bar for like if somebody can make it in the pros, like if they can burn you while running backwards. It, while was, running backwards. it was about 102 uh, when the when we kicked 102 off. It was degrees. about 102 okay. degrees when we kicked off. So okay. it, was, it was a rather warm day. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. So, yeah, you've, you've I mean, playing in, you guys don't play in the SEC. <laughs> uh, maybe you're, I mean, you're obviously fast enough to, but uh, I'll get away from that joke eventually. But, um, I, I want to ask you a question about Zach Wilson because did you do the BYU game and uh, Coastal Carolina yes. last year? Yes. Yeah, so I mean, Zach Wilson came out of nowhere. I mean, like many people, um, you know, there are a few people that liked him, but heading into the, to the season, it wasn't like, oh, this kid's going to be a first round pick, right? But when when you were watching BYU and Coastal Carolina, one of one of the best games last year was BYU versus Coastal Carolina. Coastal Carolina just edged him out. I think it was uh, Dax Milne uh, that actually got stopped right before the goal line for that, that what would have been a game-winning touchdown. Um, were you thinking, man, Zach has it? Was that one of those players for you? Uh, yes. So we have um, we have duties 
you know, um, pregame duties yeah. um, where so many of us have to be on the field at a certain time. Yeah. We were kind of uh, jostling with each other as to who was going to go out uh, first because we wanted to see him warm up. Yeah. So the entire crew came out and we pretty much stayed out <laughs> the entire pregame because he, he just really put on a show uh, just awesome. in pregame. Just yeah. the way he handled himself, the way he could throw. He's pretty acrobatic. So. He was pretty fun to watch. That's awesome. So he's pretty just pulling, pulling a Steph Curry, just showing off everybody Absolutely. pregame. <laughs> Wasn't he lucky to finish that game? He was lucky to finish the game. There was an unfortunate uh, thing that happened to him, yes. <laughs> oh, wait, hold on. We, we got we got to dive into this if we can. He got, he got beat up a little bit before halftime. So, okay. yeah, he got roughed up a little bit before yeah. halftime. Were you, like, close enough to witness, like, oh, man, he just got I was a ways downfield. Okay. Yeah. But I came to his defense. The third, okay. uh, the first flag in the in the third quarter came from me <laughs> on a late hit out good. of bounds okay. uh, on him. So uh, nice. yeah. I tried awesome. to make up for it. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's that's good. Just got to protect these uh, future first round picks. But you know, I was a little bit low on on Zach Wilson in, in the process personally because I had concern, uh, concerns about his level of competition that he was playing. I think it was a great thing that the two programs got together on a Wednesday and were like, "Hey, you want to play?" And we're like, "Yeah, let's play." Uh, and then and actually pulled it off because those two teams ended up being two very good teams by the end of the year with stacked rosters. I even like Grace McCall. I think he could get drafted. I'm not sure about you know first round, but I, I they they have a stacked roster and a really good scheme there at Coastal Carolina. Uh, but Zach Wilson, <clears throat> I will say, I, me and really other Rotoviz writers, contributors, podcasters have, have knocked Zach Wilson a bit. But analytically speaking, at his peak, if you ignore the uh, bad uh, 2019 season, just look away for that. Don't, just don't, don't look at that too much. Uh, he actually finished with like a 99th percentile passing efficiency season in 2020. Uh, at looking at all the seasons, like 450 quarterbacks that had at least 100 pass attempts since 2016, 99th percentile passing efficiency kind of year out of Zach Wilson. And he's not a liability in the run game like some quarterbacks can. He actually accounted for 10% of BYU's rushing yards as a quarterback. And that's with a decent uh, running back in Tyler Algier, too. So uh, really impressed me. Uh, I, I've been adjusting my ranks of, of Zach Wilson accordingly. But back to you, Blake. Same question. You've been in the SEC, done some big games over the years. Uh, there's probably countless players, just given how stacked the SEC has been for forever. Can you think of some guys that were those, wow, like that kid has it type of players? Like you just knew from the first time you stepped on the field, from the pregame, whatever. You just knew those guys were going to make it. Absolutely. Matter of fact, there's so many of them, it's hard to count them. And you almost have to go position by position. But, <laughs> yeah. but one thing that just stacks in my mind is the history of the quarterbacks in my time. Yeah. When I first came in the league, we had Peyton Manning at Tennessee, and we yeah. had uh, Danny Warfel. We had we had those two guys who, who we thought at the time would probably be the, you know the best we ever saw. Yeah. And then you fast forward a couple of years later, and and we get into you know folks like Cam Newton, and we think this guy's he's a freak, <laughs> he's unbelievable. Yeah. And then he had the year he had, which then led us into the Tebow years, and we said, no, this is the best guy we've ever seen play the position. Yeah. And then just a couple of years ago, Burrow had a year like nobody could ever even dream up in Disney World. Wow. So you just take that position alone, and the guys that come along keep keep setting a new bar and a new bar and a new bar. It's un- unreal. The, the most freakish athlete that I've ever probably been on the field with was Julio Jones. <laughs> Yeah, and I'd Patrick say so. Peterson from LSU, he was he was also in that in that range. If you go back a little further than that, Georgia had a had a safety named Thomas Scott mm-hmm. who ended up being big enough to play linebacker in the NFL <laughs> and fast enough to play safety at, at Georgia. I mean these these guys are freakish athletes. The the honey badger, another one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, would have loved to see him live, like on field good. level. Just oh, crazy man. good how how quick and fast he is. So yeah, you go on and on and on. Uh, Arkansas the year they had uh, Felix Jones and Darren McFadden in the, in the backfield. Oh, on the same field. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so it's hard to say, you know, who was, who's the best and who was the best because we just keep bringing up these names. Yeah. But what, what I do see all the time, this is what stands out the most. When we go to a postseason bowl game, yeah, we can't call our own schools. So we'll go to a bowl game, and just as an example, it might be a, a, a Big Ten Pac-12 game yeah and what you notice immediately is the difference between the southeastern conference defensive linemen and linebackers immediately <laughs> just size wise and, and strength and all of it everything because, 
there we got guys in the Southeastern Conference that can chase skilled players down from the other leagues that are linemen that weigh 280, 290. Yeah. Linebackers, 250, 260, that can run faster than skilled players from these other leagues. So that immediately stands out when you get your when we usually go around the country and see those those games like that. And you just realize in the trenches here it's just different. And yeah. I don't I would debate anybody on that. I mean, I know oh, yeah. there's a big debate all the time about oh, every year. this and that. But those guys in the trenches in the South are just different animals. They're just yeah. different. Yeah, that, that's that's a huge one. I, I hear you hear the uh, man. SE speed is just is just different. And, and being from uh, originally Big Ten country myself, like you know, people want to argue with that all the time. But I'm um, sorry, like Wisconsin skill player is not going to be as impressive as you know a an Alabama. Skill player, uh, they, they, you know, it, well, with the exception of Jonathan Taylor, but uh, it's very rare when you see that that kind of speed coming out of uh, the Big Ten as consistently uh, as you see it yeah, in the teams. SEC. I mean, I've, well, I've had them all. I've yeah. had Ohio State and their best teams. I've had Wisconsin's best teams. I've had Penn State's best teams. Yeah, they're good football teams. Oh, absolutely. But when you just line up the just the just the athlete, just the just the athletes, athletic skills, the guys here in the trenches. Are as equal to their skill players for the most part. That's that's just insane. That that makes it really tough, and I, and I I hate to to see that like live. And when I'm well, actually I hated to see that live because actually I, I went to Purdue, and uh, but I my family all roots for Auburn, and so I went to that Music City game, uh, Music City Bowl, uh, a few years back with uh, Auburn versus uh, Purdue, and it was just like they were on two different playing fields entirely. Like Rondell Moore was the only thing that could work at all that game a uh, really shifty fast wide receiver he ran like a legit four three something uh but everyone else was just moving in slow motion compared to auburn and it was like 63 to 7 and, <laughs> and that's just that's just the nature of the game uh at this point but uh, i want to move on to another question uh, great answers by the way so far this has been fun just talking stories and players and uh, and everything but uh this is a common question just because a lot of people don't really understand all the things you guys go through and you know it is mentioned i guess um sometimes that you guys aren't necessarily this isn't like your only thing like your full-time job but there's always some preparation that goes into the season so what kind of training film breakdowns and you know everything like that just what do you guys work through uh, in the off season and and are are there in-season adjustments to what you do just to get you ready for game day um so i'll just take him i'll just start with um our early spring preparation um Obviously, we most of us try to stay in in decent shape even yeah. through the off season. It's it's tough, but you know, um, a wise man told me once to to take four to six weeks off yeah. after your bowl game. Yeah, um, you know, spend time with your family, uh, get rejuvenated, and then uh, come March we start working scrimmages. Um, oh, of course, spring scrimmages. Um, also, in March, our referees um, in both leagues will put out a weekly quiz that we will start working once a week. So scrimmages will go through March and April. Spring games are over. Um, but when that's over, we're still working out. We're preparing for our run. And we just finished our weekly quizzes, uh, and we're at the end of July. So mm-hmm. from March to July, we do weekly wow. quizzes. Um, weekly uh, from March, just all off season Weekly. long. That's um, and you know a lot of guys. Uh, in in addition to the quiz that we do, we we also have study groups. Yeah, uh, the Nashville area has several officials from all kinds of conferences. So once a week, starting in May, we meet on Monday nights and we go over questions. And we do that in preparation for it's this weekend actually our clinic in Birmingham. Yeah. So we have our physical fitness uh, run, uh, and we have our um, our rules test, which is twenty five question test. Um, so after after we leave that, we may take a day to digest everything. Wow. But you know, starting next week, scrimmages are here again. Yep. Yeah. And then the it's here. it's fall camp already for a bunch of these. So schools. this is uh, we talked about this yesterday. It's about a ten month job. Yeah, that's intense. Yeah, and I think I think more people would appreciate it if they understood all of what you guys do. And Blake, I mean, I've I've seen you actually come in at uh, like church office here and uh, <clears throat> and uh, actually be breaking down film and talking through some stuff. So those study groups that you're talking about, you're actually like not just kind of in your head in a book. You're you're breaking down game film, real life application of these rules every single week. 
Yeah, let's take you through a couple of things. One, one in addition to what Barry just said, on, in my particular job, we have every other week we have a video-based conference call nationwide for instant replay. Yeah. So we're still breaking down plays from last year's instant replay in all leagues across the, the, the country. Our coordinator lives in California, and so he creates a call every other week. We've been on since uh, about April. Wow. But – just to take you through a quick week of what, what some of these guys have to go through. They they have to travel. This is in season. They have to travel in on Friday. When they arrive on Friday, there's about a two-hour meeting that night, which is a combination of film review and scout tape for the game they're going to work the next day. They work the next day after having a pregame meeting, which lasts another hour and a half usually, uh, which is more – uh, logistics than it is anything else. Not any more video, but mostly logistics, along with the training tape that comes from the league office of things they want to have emphasis on this particular week. Yeah. Work the game. After the game, there's a post-game meeting, a debrief, if you will, to talk about anything that might have come up during that game that needs to be discussed before it gets public or before it gets to, to Sunday's coaches' breakdowns or whatever happens. You travel home on Sunday, you're expected to have watched your game film by the end of that day. The next thing that happens to them is they get a film grade from an observer that has to break down that film. That grade then is then reviewed at an appeals court level in case you need to have a debate with with a position chief or every position on the field. So you get to about Wednesday now, and you begin to start this all over again. During the season, this is about 30 hours. <laughs> now, where we are right now, we're uh, if you count workout time, we're 6 to 10 a week. But it's about, a, as Barry said, about a 10-month job, some more intense than others. But uh, it, it hardly ever is nothing going on. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot. And, and I think people would uh, give you guys a little bit more slack and maybe uh, not, not uh, yell at you as, as much if they understood all the things and all the preparation that goes into it. Just to, before we get back to uh, more kind of player and team specific stuff, uh, did have a, a few more kind of rules based questions because a big thing in college football is targeting. And that comes up like I feel like every other game. And <clears throat> that's got to be kind of difficult for you guys. Is that maybe one of the top three? rules for you guys it's just kind of hard to pull the trigger on or is uh, do you find yourself like hard to, is, is it hard to judge like what does what does that look like what does that in-game process look like because I, I feel like every time somebody gets the targeting call uh and it's just maybe not obvious to everyone that it was intentional or malicious or something like that and somebody because the penalty is so harsh that you know they're immediately ejected like there's a lot of controversy around that college disqualified or, is that I guess word? disqualified my bad. See, yeah, already controversy anymore. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's a difference in, in our lingo because disqualified means you can't play. Doesn't right, mean you right, have right. to leave. Uh, um, okay, but yes, the question you asked is really a good one, and it, it it goes to philosophy because the best officials in the country are really better at the things they don't call than the things they do call. And knowing the difference and when to make an is when not to call something that didn't create the proper advantage disadvantage. But in targeting, since this has been introduced in our game, it's the foul we've been told to call when in doubt. Okay. So we we have we've been trained to get one on the ground so it can be looked at upstairs. Yeah. Now what's happened upstairs in the booth in the last two two years now? There is typically in a replay situation, you either have a confirmation of the call, you have an overturn of the call, or you have a call that we say let it stand because we don't have the proper evidence. And targeting stands has been removed. So if we can't verify all the aspects of a targeting call and confirm it, then we have to overturn it. the last part of that is we can create a targeting file from it, from the booth. It doesn't have to be a flag on the field. If we see something up there, we can stop it. It can game. be reviewed, and then they'll, they'll say, hey, we need you guys to look at this, verify, and then. Exactly. Yeah, which makes it really tough because then, then you, you get people that are at the game. They see no flag was thrown. There, there's, there, there's, there's some confusion. Like when you're watching it on TV, it's much different because you have like the the uh, kind of play-by-play people. Just, oh, you know, they're going to actually – review this as an explanation but do people how does that 
how does like an SEC atmosphere react to a targeting call like like that when it when it gets called down like that? Like is not that well? <laughs> I mean, not well. But you know, the, the 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 interesting part about this is all football fans, especially yeah. fans that are over thirty years old, thirty five years old. You know, we're always taught that these were the hits, these were the highlight films, these were the highlight reels. When I was doing some consulting with the with the Titans, Coach LeBeau was still over there. Oh, yeah. And he came to practice one day and said that he had been watching the NFL Network and watched the highlight film or the highlight show on Dick Buckus. <laughs> and he said that everything they showed now would have had him, would have had him disqualified. Because every wow. play that they showed was illegal now. Sheesh. But the interesting part about this with players is they would rather get hit in the head than the knee. So you're teaching players by rule that we want them to stay away from the head. Yeah. Yet the players tell us, you ruined my future with my knee. I can live through the head. They don't think about what happens in 40 years. Long right? term, yeah, yeah. So they just don't want their knee taken out. Therefore, they'll target high. Mm. And and but we, I will say, Barry, you can agree or disagree, but I'll say it has come a long way with technique. We have eliminated a lot of the old calling card techniques where a guy's just going to leave his calling card to try to hurt somebody. I don't see that too much anymore. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, now is when you're calling like a Sun Belt game, <laughs> uh, like what's I don't know? Is, is it? Uh, you feel because I feel like in the bigger big moments in like an SEC game, it's not like that. Well, the SEC is is regarded as like a higher conference, but like and so there's a lot of controversy and and all these intense atmospheres full of a packed stadium. Uh, do you feel like less scared to call <laughs> like a tough call, even like like a targeting or something like that in in the Sun Belt when there's like maybe half as many fans or a quarter as many fans? Is it less intimidating? I would say no, just because this this may be something that a lot of your listeners, maybe you, don't realize. Sure. Um, the SEC and the Sun Belt are sister leagues. Yeah. So the same guy runs both exactly. leagues. That's that's why you do both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so maybe a little bit. Yeah. To answer your question, but at the end of the day, I've still got to answer to the same guys the SEC answers to. Yeah, because it's exactly what Blake was saying. You guys get assessed. Like everything's got like graded. So you're. Yes. You're gonna have a grade on that call. Like you, you, it's not just like this one moment. It's not just this one game. It's not that it's a smaller game or a bigger game. It's just this is you. This is on you <laughs> more than exactly. just and not just uh, you know really nice rednecks calling up to make sure they got the right person to give a death threat about. Yeah, exactly. You know, right. n- nothing like that. But uh, but but Blake is right. Targeting. I'm not gonna say it's the easiest thing that we call, but yeah. it's it's up there because we've now been taught when you're in doubt. Yeah, you got to get one on the ground, and I think that helps. Knowing that probably helps because I think a lot of fans that don't follow the game as closely as as maybe I do or as you as, as officials do uh, don't understand that. They're like, oh, what? There's no way that was you know. And their immediate reaction is just no way. Well, you guys are just doing how you been, doing it how you've been trained, and that makes sense. You know, if you really want to educate for just a second, there's two aspects to targeting in the rule book. Sure, the first one is to protect the one the, the player that gets hit. Yeah, that's the guy that gets hit in the head or neck area when he's defenseless. Yeah, but the second part, which is less understood, is if you hit someone leading with the crown of your helmet, it doesn't matter where you hit him. Yeah, he's not supposed to lead with the crown of your helmet to be the initial point of contact. So when you see the play you're talking about, mm-hmm. and somebody comes in and hits someone in the ribs with the top of their helmet, you go, "Well, what's wrong with that?" Well, that's protecting the tackler not the one that got hit exactly we've seen, I mean, like, we've seen a lot more of the tackler yeah blake can attest to this when you see that hit they're not a tackling. lot of times <laughs> it's not the guy getting hit that gets up woozy it's the guy making the hit yeah or, or, or not even just getting up woozy i think back to like the right ryan shazier hit like even when in the pros yeah like, i mean he that'll mess you up yep permanently so it's just so it's just protecting the players, and that makes sense. This but, is why I'd like to hear the words. When you have commentators, I'd like to hear them no longer refer to head-to-head. Right. Because there's no such thing in our rule book that says head-to-head. That's yeah. not a foul. Head-to-head doesn't create a foul. So when you hear the TV commentator talk about, well, he hit him in the head, well, what what, what else was going on? There? Yeah, yeah. It's it's more, compli- more complex than that. For sure. But, you know, you had a good example of the tough call that you made and, and all the, the repercussions thereafter. Have you ever had a call that was, like, just really tough that you, you may have – somebody thought you blew it and that was, like, that just comes to mind is that, that one call. Like, I always think about that 
that kind of play. <laughs> yeah, we're fifty percent of the right, you know, one hundred percent of the time. So, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, nothing to to that level, but you know, we we've been in some Sun Belt games where um, uh, the winning score uh, was called back because oh, of a uh, a holding call, um, and Ugh. it was the, it was absolutely the correct call. Yeah. Um, so that cost a team a game, but we got we got commended for calling it because that's a tough call. Yeah, that's a tough call, but yeah, it happens all the time. Uh, but on the other side, we're going to get into uh, which coaches are the funniest with the officials, which ones yell the most, and uh, you know it's, uh, how the game's changing and, and and what we might see coming next uh, as well. But first, a word from our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I just want to take a second to thank you for tuning in to today's show. My name is Colin Kelly, co-host of the Road of His Overtime podcast, along with the great Sean Siegel. We do appreciate each and every listener. And as a thank you to each of you, you can get yourself a 10% discount to a Road of His NFL pass. We're heading at full speed towards the season. Make sure you're ready. Get yourself access to all the content and tools up on the Road of His website. All you have to do is add the code RVRADIO2021 at checkout to get yourself that 10% discount. Now let's go and dominate the fantasy leagues in 2021 all right so we've had a great time talking with barry and blake here uh two college football officials uh but we're gonna have a little bit uh, a little bit more fun with some goofy questions here down the stretch and and then talk about uh, where the game is going and and how it's been changing and through the eyes of some college football officials how the game has changed how the players have changed styles have changed over the years as well but first off i just i gotta know who are the funniest uh, coaches that you've actually been around, like on the field, whether it's on the field, before the game, during the game, uh, just the guys that you love to, to, to be around. Blake has a lot more, um, you know, knowledge of coaches than, than me. I was fortunate enough uh, last season to to work a Kansas game uh, yeah. and really worked the first time for Les Miles. Oh, nice. Um, now, was that Kansas, Coastal Carolina? It was. Okay, yeah. It was. So, so he uh, is a class act. Yeah. Um, but I'll say this, and, and Blake can tell you a ton more stories. You never know what's going to come out of his mouth. It's never disrespectful. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it's always uh, in humor or um, you you may have just blown a call, and he's walking <laughs> up to you, and you may think he's really going to get in me, and he may ask you where you're going for dinner after the game. I mean, you never know <laughs> what you're going to get. Keep on your toes. That's awesome. So Les I'm Miles. Sure Blake, yeah, I'm sure Blake's had a lot of screamers. Yeah, he's one of my favorites for sure. Yeah. I, you know, uh, and you talk about eccentric folks. I had a bowl game in, in uh, San Diego with Mike Leach's West Washington State Oh, team. man, Mike Leach. He picked, once he found out where I was from, <laughs> oh, he yeah. talked to me for the three-hour game, and we never, ever discussed the football game. But <laughs> That's what, awesome. What I've learned over the years is that these some of these coaches are characters. Yeah. And some of them, uh, you can't always take at face value what you see. 
I'll give you a couple of examples of what we, what we were calling Lou Holtz's games. Lou Holtz would, t- would find about two or three opportune times during a game to throw his hat. Anybody that remembers watching him <laughs> yeah. do that will know that he used to do that a couple of times a game, all the way through Notre Dame, through Arkansas, through South Carolina. Well, we found out after he was about ready to retire that he did that on purpose because he wanted to make sure that he got on ESPN for recruiting. Throwing ah. his hat every week. Wow. And so I set that up to tell you a couple of stories about it's not always what you see. When uh, when we were working with a rookie in our crew, we had Tennessee, Missouri one year. This is when Butch Jones was the coach of Tennessee. Oh, good. And we yeah. set our rookie up in the crew to get eaten up by Butch Jones during a TV timeout. So we waited for the opportune time, and then we called him over to the sideline, and they spent two minutes and 25 seconds roasting the guy. And while we stood, the line (laughs) judge and I stood there watching this, knowing it was all set up. As soon as the TV timeout was over, we dropped the hammer, start playing again, and and Coach Jones never changed his expression. I was like, this kid never knew what happened until we told him after the game. But on TV, what you saw was this roasting going on over this guy. Funniest story ever. Coach Philip Fulmer at Tennessee was one of the classiest guys we ever worked for yeah. through the years. He was always great to work for. Really well thought of. All the time. And this is at the height of their success. Tennessee, Georgia is playing. We have a punt that uh, Georgia um, Georgia's punting to Tennessee, and Georgia goes down and touches the ball illegally. Mm. Now, normally, based on the rules, once again, without going off into deep water, when the, when the kicking team is the first team to touch a punt, not much bad can happen to the receiving team after that. They're going to usually get a chance to come back and get it. So this ball bounced it bounced off every player on the field, it seemed like, and eventually rolled over the pylon. Oh, boy. This was when Tennessee and Georgia are like top five, ranked top five, big game. Coach Fulmer's going crazy to try to find me and let me know that this that this touched Georgia first. Because if it didn't, this ball's gone in the end zone and we got all kind of problems out here. Yeah. So he's raving his hands and screaming and shouting. <laughs> and I just told him, I said, Coach, I got good news. I said, you know, they touched it first and it's a touchback and you're going to get the ball on the 20 and everything's going to be okay. Yeah. He said, without ever missing a beat, Blake, you're going to have to stand here and take a little more of this because I've made a fool of myself on TV. So he's still waving his arms and ranting just like he was before, except now we're talking like we are right now. I said, you're just going to have to take a few more seconds of this because I've got to save face here. myself out of this. That's the funniest oh story I've ever been involved in on the field. Oh, man. I have a good one. We had, yeah. we had uh, South Alabama one year when Steve Campbell was still there. Yeah. And the play was uh, – he, he was on offense. Uh, we had a, a foul at the snap on his team. His team ends up scoring. Uh, the receiver uh, gets up and hits the defender in the head with the football. So, we flag that. So, now we have two <laughs> yeah. We have two flags. He's not going to get his touchdown. No. And guess what? We're going to back you up 15 more yards. Yeah. So Perfect. Um, he calls – no, I think a player was injured on the play. So, they go to a TV timeout. Well – Blake can tell you, as an official, if you see a coach about to lose his mind, don't willingly go over there, okay? No. I'm already on his sideline, and my referee starts coming over toward him, and I'm trying to tell him, <laughs> hey, no, no, don't no. come over stay, here. Stay, stay, yeah. He's not asking to talk to you. Don't come over here. So he goes over there, and Coach Campbell just lays into him. The whole three minutes for the time. Finally, my referee looks at him and says, Coach, do you have a question for me? I can't tell you what he actually said, but oh, the man. gist of it was I didn't tell you to come over here to begin with. Oh, yeah. So I'm just <laughs> cracking up inside. Yeah, because you're like, oh, because he just walked, literally walked into that. <laughs> he walked right into it. One of Coach oh, Spurrier's man. years at South Carolina, they had a huge upset going against Alabama. Yeah. At home, big game. South Carolina's trying to gain traction in the league, and they had them down. They went to halftime ahead. South Carolina gets the ball first coming out of the second half. Well, the quarterback for South Carolina that year is a kid named Garcia, who Coach Spurrier literally couldn't stand. 
And you know the relationship <laughs> he had with his quarterbacks. Yeah. The running back on that team, I believe, was Marcus Lattimore. So he's Pretty been good. running yeah. all over Alabama oh, yeah. all day long. So they come out of the dressing room, they get the ball, they run down the field, run and play, run and play, run and play, run and play, just come straight down the field. They get down to about the 15-yard line, third down, and Mr. Garcia calls an audible to throw the ball. So he drops <laughs> back in the pocket, um, and Alabama's got a full-on blitz coming. He throws the ball away, throws it up over everybody, and bounces off the upright of the goalpost. Bounces back down. So now Coach Spurrier is screaming as loud as he can. The louder he screamed, the lighter the the the, the higher pitch his voice would get. So you could hear him less, but he'd get really high. <laughs> and he, you know his drill was to throw everything. Oh yeah. So he threw his visor and he threw his 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 clipboard and he threw his microphone he threw his radio he got right out of stuff though i started giving him my stuff <laughs> you're I'm handing him, him my stuff to throw card. i'm giving him stuff out of my stuff to throw <laughs> so he throws all of my stuff and, and we just got the biggest kick oh on my that gosh that was when you run out when you run out of stuff just ask the the officials for other stuff to, <laughs> exactly. to throw that's that's fantastic well that's 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 awesome another another question here uh Favorite or least favorite stadiums to officiate in, or best stadiums you've ever officiated in? You said you did some Big 12 or Big 10 and Pac-12. Yeah. Do you ever get a Rose Bowl? I've been so blessed. I have had the Rose Bowl. I've been so blessed to go to the venues, both out of our league and in our league. Yeah. Uh, But out of our league, no, I've been to the Rose Bowl. I've been to Texas. I've been to Penn State. I've been to Ohio State. I've been to... I mean, I've been to all the places like that, Clemson and Florida State and all those places you might want to go. In our league, in my opinion, there's nothing quite like a night game at Baton Rouge. Yeah, yeah. Just or different. Dallas. Yeah. It's just different. Now, you know, we're, we're in our league, we're blessed to have tons of those venues because any game, any day can be a, a crazy place. But when the sun goes down in Baton Rouge and they get a good night game going there, that's a yeah. special place. That's really awesome. Is. Yeah, that, that environment is uh, is something else. Even just watching it, and you mentioned Clemson, like just 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 the intro, just as they they come down that hill, it's just something else. Just being there live, I'm sure that's fantastic. Yeah, you know, I have to get well, we have to get captains for the coin toss, and one of the interesting things about Clemson is they their dressing rooms on the other end of the stadium from that rock. Yeah, so they actually put the kids on a bus and take them around the stadium so they could run down that rock. Wow. Someone's trying to get captains out of before they get on that bus, so they so you don't okay. get late for the coin toss. Yeah, that's quite an experience over there. I don't know why they did that on the other end, but they dress on the other on the opposite end of the stadium. That's weird. What well, I mean, whatever works, I guess. But what, what about you, Barry? A favorite place uh, or a least favorite, even stadiums? You know, I don't know if I have a least or a favorite, um, but I will say uh, we've not talked about this as of yet. Um, my crew was very fortunate last year to – well, we all were fortunate to have football, first yeah. of all. Yes. Um, my crew was very fortunate to go to some cool places, and we were really excited about it. But a lot of the places that we got to go, I'm not going to say it was a letdown, but when there's no fans in the stadium. <laughs> yeah, you know that weird season we had. Yeah, actually. your experience – like we, we had an incredible, incredible venues to go to in – you know, you couldn't do anything when you got there. There's no one in the stadium. We had, last year at the, our Kansas game. Yeah. You know, um, our leagues don't get to go out there very often, so we were excited. You know, nine fifteen Central Time kickoff. Nine nine fifteen a.m. p.m. Oh gosh. Okay. So this isn't even Pac-12 even. This no. is like <laughs> so we're thinking, geez, and um, you know, sometimes if you depending on what network you're on, you have a slide. So yeah. we had a nine fifteen, and we had a slide. Well, they informed us we're going to take the slide. It was a twenty-minute slide. Yeah. So now we're after nine thirty before we kicked off in this empty stadium. Empty stadium. No fans. <laughs> the only, only people there were us and the players and the coaches. That's it. And the medical personnel. Our hotel room is in uh, Kansas City, mm-hmm. uh, an hour plus drive back. So it's two a.m. when we get back, and then we find out why we got slid. We got slid because there was a baseball game. For us, oh, a major league baseball game, yeah, it was 14 to 2. Oh my god, and we got slid. So, wow, they couldn't change it for that. Yeah, so I don't, I don't know if I have a favorite, or I've not been doing it long enough to have a favorite or a least favorite, but yeah. last year was kind of, yeah, and kind of I was hard. actually going to ask just a 
kind of a question before we talked about how the game's kind of been changing. But yeah, it had to be weird uh, just last year. I mean, I, what were the, the strangest things, I guess, that you guys experienced in this this year where there was no fans and we were struggling with, with this pandemic and everything? I'm sure that that made. I'm sure you guys had to get tested, all this, all this other stuff, all the time. Like, what did that? How did that? Did that add hours to your week every week? Uh, hours and stress. I mean, um, you mentioned Coastal Carolina BYU. That game was initially supposed to be Liberty BYU. Um, oh, yeah. Of course, Liberty has Hugh Freeze, which we've yep. all seen and, and know. So my crew drew that game. We were very excited. Uh, we found out Wednesday it was canceled. So not only have we tested that week, we did all of our preparation on Wednesday night. We find out that, the, that our game's canceled. Yeah. So we're you know we're getting into the process of canceling our flights and our, all the accommodations, and then we get a call from from our coordinator saying, hey, don't do anything yet. We think we've got a replacement. So it was uh, sometime on Wednesday night or Thursday, we find out that we have a game. So, you know, it was really stressful because a lot of things you can control. Yeah. But some that's things you can't and you not. just have to trust. You know, the testing, I'll just, I'll, I'll speak for me. The way that happened is um, we would get a test kit yeah. uh, once a week shipped to us. Yeah. And we, we performed the test shipped it back off and then it's out of our hands because we have to trust that whoever is responsible for getting it to where it needs to go gets there. Yeah. So you don't even know if like, you know, a couple days before the game, can I even officiate this game? I don't, I don't We're waiting know. for the email to come that says you're cleared, oh you know, you're negative. That's you know? crazy. It happened almost every week, Travis, is what you just said. We, it's almost every week. Somebody in one of our games was not going to work and wouldn't know it until Thursday. Right. Or a team, it, not even one of our crews, yeah. a team. You may find out Friday. Well, this team's your game's shut down. canceled yeah. because of COVID. Oh my god, we were we were en route to a game. He's been en route to a game, uh, and Man. it's just canceled. Yeah, and our crazy. protocols were were so strict that we could be on the same flight, could not sit together. If we landed somewhere, we had to get separate rental cars. Couldn't even oh, ride together. Couldn't eat together. I mean, it yeah. was so Because there's not time. actually a ton of you guys. I mean, it's like, it's like our crews are 11 yeah. in total. Right. So, I mean, like if you, you have a whole crew just all of a sudden go down with this, and you're, that changes everything yeah. <laughs> everything for a given week of football. Yeah. So that's, that's insane. Stress was the right word. It yeah. was highly stressful. Well, hopefully, um, if things uh, hopefully things aren't that way this year as much for you guys. But just to round things out and, and, and wrap up the show here, uh, one thing I love about college football is that it usually you know it leads the way. I think in many in many cases in terms of shaping the game, like whether we're talking about even just the, the NFL copies stuff all the time. Like whether it's just shifting to more of a pass-heavy game, to to the spread offenses, to more of a read option type implementation, and, and everything that we're seeing now come to fruition in the NFL. Many times it, it actually started uh, somewhere because some coach that couldn't win recruiting had to get creative with their scheme and change things. Uh, so, I, I, has, has there been any change that you guys have witnessed that you guys have just uh, found super interesting? Whether it be change in player talent, size, and speed, or or play, uh, just really style of play. Uh, whether it's scheme, whether it's, um, you know, the pacing of play or anything that you, you've kind of seen uh, over the past few years? Yeah, a matter of fact, I'm so old that I can I can relate the changes in the rule book to the game that happened then because uh, what you just said is accurate. You know, you, something happens and next, next year the rules change. There's about three things that, that stick out in my mind. The first one was the advent of instant replay. When I first started working, there was no such thing as an instant replay. I can recall <laughs> two or three games that wow. I worked in that the outcome of the game would have been different if we'd have had instant replay. Oh, man. Um, I had a Georgia-Georgia Tech game uh, that was 50-47 to 47 that would have it would have gone the other way. We ended up in overtime. I had a Tennessee-Florida game that was ended on a catch-no-catch that would have been overruled in replay. I can just two or three times – so the advent of instant replay changed a lot of things. And then it got more defined with the HD DVR. Oh, yeah. Because when everybody had an HD DVR at home, it could go forward and backwards. And <laughs> Screen cap. And hey, look. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> it puts so much more scrutiny oh, on yeah. where instant replay is in the game. But the last five years, what's changed so dramatic is the offensive pace play with the RPOs, mm -hmm. which has put so much pressure on officiating. You know, now what we've got is teams that run 220, 230 plays in a game that used to be 165, 170 maybe. They can go 
every four, five, six seconds of a play clock when it used to run down to 20 out of yeah. 25. <laughs> There's no huddling anymore. There's no. Substitutions are on and off, which creates an unbelievable burden on how you have to count, keep track of substitutions. And the way these guys can pace that, that has created a whole other element of officiating for us. We have something called preventive officiating, dead ball officiating, and it's been harder to do it because these teams are lined back up. When I went to the Rose Bowl, it was Oregon, Florida State. It was the Mariota, James Winston games. First playoff game they've ever played. I would never forget that fumble of Jameis Winston. He just backing up and just like threw the ball back. That's exactly right. (laughs) But what we noticed quickly in Oregon, who at that time was, was known to be the fastest team in the country. Yeah. They were running that stuff. They would run a play, and if you weren't in it, you literally didn't go anywhere. So a receiver, for an example, that's on the opposite side of the field or where the play would go wouldn't take but three or four steps because then he could immediately turn around and line back up and run another play. That's nuts. And we had never seen anything like that. That was 2015. Now everybody's doing it. And just in our – just around the, the two leagues that we're talking about here, I, don't, I can't think of a team that doesn't run the pace. No. So that has changed dramatically how we handle football. And then, of course, all the rules are slanted for offense, <laughs> for touchdowns. People yeah. want to see touchdowns. That's where the rules are. So it's changed our philosophy for sure. Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me is, you know, growing up as a football fan, you remember a defensive struggle. You know, you get these two teams – playing and you're thinking, man, it's going to be a nine to six ball game. Yeah. Or even like, I mean, like what in the last 15 years, like with like a saving an LSU game and like six to three, I don't know what they, what year that was. Mm-hmm. I yeah. had that game. I had a yeah. 10 to nine game with those two schools. So, so now you're seeing people like, um, well, I mean, I, I don't want to keep talking about saving in Alabama, but we all know Saban's a defensive guy. Yeah. Prides himself in the defense, always has, always will. But when he hired Lane Kiffin several years ago to run his offense, I mean, Part of Coach Saban knew this may not be the best move I can make, <laughs> but the other part of his brain said this guy is an offensive genius. Yeah, we need to score points, or we're not going to get to where we want to go every year. No. So to me, that's a huge, huge uh, shift uh, in the way the games play. Is yeah. you have to outscore people now. Yeah, yeah and games. it's a misnomer that that's just passing. You know, you take uh, Coach Malzahn's. Teams, example, for example, oh, Auburn, those yeah. are heavy run teams. They Absolutely. go extremely fast. So it's not just passing, but this RPO stuff is is tough to officiate. It really is hard to officiate. And now that's, to your example, Travis, has crept into Sunday. Yeah. So now that NFL is running RPOs, and that's a tough, tough play to officiate. Yeah, absolutely is. And, I, I mean, like with uh, – and I, I think of schemes that have really spread things out and do the pacing and they do the, a lot of substitute, substituting all the time. That, that's a lot to, to keep track of. And we have the the uh, the, the growing uh, utilization of analytics with in-game decision-making and everything like that, that that have really kind of optimized the game, I guess, to, to keep the pace of play going. But we see all these plays and all these offenses, and it's nuts just trying to keep track of – like when I'm watching <clears> – <throat> like an Oklahoma game and they're running straight 10 personnel all day. They're nine deep at wide receiver. And then they can, they can basically change out their entire set of wide receivers, throw four more future NFL draft picks on the field. Uh, that's gotta be a ton to keep track of. And then Spencer Rattler who's doing all this uh, dual threat nonsense running around. I mean, it's just, it's a lot uh, to keep track of, but it's not just passing either. I think of uh, another draft pick that probably next year is going to get drafted pretty early, like Sam Howell of, of uh, North Carolina. Like a lot of people think that they aired out because of him all the time. But, man, they just sent Javante Williams and Michael Carter to the NFL, both of which had over 1,100 rushing yards just a year ago. So the run game is not dead, but the pace of play and how they spread teams out and spread defenses out to get that that box that, that basically just gives them an extra blocker in there. It's just really fun to watch and how, how creative they become uh, at, at really making the advantage lean towards the offense. Yeah, it's fun to watch and hard to call. And of course, the <laughs> yeah. defensive coaches are, are struggling all the time. What we've just had a, a point of emphasis crept up on us this year is the fake injury on defense. To slow oh, yeah, down. yeah. Now, obviously, as an official, we're not going to make a call whether a player's hurt. No. But if you look in the rule book for 2021, there's been a point of emphasis made on coaching integrity. <laughs> about faking defensive injuries. So wow. so the NCAA is looking at that to see if there's anything that to that. 
and uh, hopefully we don't start seeing uh, as, as much flopping uh, as we do in some other sports like, like just NBA or like watching a soccer game, just like somebody flailing because they've just got to buy the team an extra six seconds to make the right substitution. <laughs> we, we know that's happening. But yeah. You know, like I said, if I see a man down, I'm stopping the game. Yeah, yeah. And from there, it doesn't matter. But we're seeing a lot of it so obvious now late in the play clock. Yeah. You know, where you, you can buy some time. In effect, get you a 30-second timeout out of that. Yeah. Well, guys, I really appreciate your time. This has been fun. Just talking about uh, your real real life experiences with college football and how the game's been changing. Just uh, some fun stories of coaches. And uh, it's been awesome. So I hope, listeners, I hope you guys enjoyed this. This was a fun conversation. Uh, we'll be diving more into some player analysis on the college side. Uh, jump back to the NFL side. We'll have some mock drafts coming up. Uh, with myself, with Stefan, some special guests upcoming. And, and keep in mind, we will be going to a two-episode format here very, very soon. Stefan will be having on some fun guests. I'll be doing some more weekly uh, topical things, uh, cranking out some short shows that are very impactful statistically there for you as well. But again, thanks so much for just making the show what it has become. Uh, it's just a great, it's been really fun getting to know some of you listeners. Feel free to reach out to me again on Twitter at FF underscore Travis M. If you guys have any questions uh, for the show, uh, you can reach me there. Or if you have fantasy football questions, college football questions, NFL questions, whatever it may be, me or Stefan, you can find him on Twitter at StefanLako. That's L-A-K-O. Uh, but please do continue rating uh, the show five stars. That helps quite a bit. <laughs> uh, you can do that wherever you listen to the podcast. But I uh, hope you are enjoying uh, the ramp up to the NFL and college football seasons. Uh, but you guys can look forward to many more episodes uh, here soon of the College to Canton podcast. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.